And just want to take a second and thank Policy Genius. They're supporting today's episode of Success Story. I know we all have kids. We all have families we want to take care of. And I personally check something off major on my to-do list, life insurance. It's a tough topic. It's really hard to think about, but it's so important. And the hard part was sorting through all the options. Luckily, I found Policy Genius. Policy Genius is an online insurance marketplace that makes getting life insurance surprisingly easy. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Now, knowing my family's protected brings me incredible peace of mind. Don't put off this important decision. Check life insurance off your to-do list in no time with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Welcome to Success Story, the most useful podcast in the world. I'm your host, Scott D. Clary. The Success Story podcast is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. The HubSpot Podcast Network has other amazing podcasts like No Straight Path, hosted by Ashley Menzies Babatunde. Now, by shedding light on the stories behind the shiny resumes, social media highlights, and job titles, No Straight Path aims to humanize success from the millennial perspective. Featuring guests from all walks of life, No Straight Path aims to inspire conversations around the nuanced perspectives of success. Now, if some of these topics at home, you're going to love this show. Success is all about maximizing happiness. An interview with Esther Agbaji about finding your voice. Success is communal with Yvonne Doc Aswad. Now, if these topics are interesting to you, make sure to check out No Straight Path wherever you listen to your podcast. Today, my guest is Kurt Anderson. Now, Kurt is the author of the New York Times bestsellers, Evil Geniuses and Fantasyland, as well as the best-selling novels, You Can't Spell America Without Me, True Believers, Heyday, Turn of the Century, and the podcast, Nixon at War. He co-founded Spy Magazine and co-created and hosted Studio 360, a Peabody award-winning public radio show about art and pop culture that aired until 2020. He's also a journalist, former New Yorker columnist and staff writer, time critic and columnist, New York editor-in-chief and columnist, and has written for television, film, and stage. Now, we spoke about several entrepreneurial ventures he took on over his life, including Insight.com and Studio 360, why we need to make America new again, his argument that over the past several decades, America's political economy has been hijacked by capital supremacists who preached and enacted a return to a pre-New Deal order, and the systems we need to deploy to fix America. Yeah, no, I'm happy to. And actually, when people speak to me, they often know, oh, you're that radio show guy. Oh, you're the guy who wrote these books. Oh, you're the guy who did Spy Magazine. And and yes, those and more. I, I, uh, I you know, like lots of my friends, started out as a writer. And then and then uh, in 19, back in the late 80s, started Spy Magazine, which was a kind of slightly insane, but as it turned out, successful entrepreneurial effort to start this magazine when back when magazines uh, didn't have the internet to compete with and uh, it was a satirical magazine it was it was nonfiction it was journalists it was journalism but often savage always fun and funny journalism we did that uh, made a big enemy out of among other people Donald Trump back when he was just a you know bum in New York uh, <laughs> and uh, so did that and then went on to uh, write books and do other things and movies and plays and so forth, but also was along the way uh, starting companies like this Inside.com, which was a online and print magazine uh, publication that covered the media industries back at the turn of the century, back in uh, 99, 2000, 2001. Um, did an email newsletter called Very Short List that was then sold as it happened to Jared Kushner and the Observer Company uh, in the 2000s. So yeah, I, I, have, I, I am a writer. That's what my passport says. And that's the main thing I have always been. But I have also, uh, along the way, um, both in print and then in digital land, uh, started companies, sold them sometimes and, and got out of them other times and uh, wrote them down to the end other times. Um. So, you know, there's there's quite a few writers that don't start companies. So walk me through, 
you know, you, you started off as a writer, you, you've obviously done a lot of, of things. And, and I also want to dovetail this into what gives you inspiration as to what to work on next. I'm sure that habit and that mindset has carried you through your career. So uh, pick, pick one uh, of the many things that you've worked on. What prompted you to go into building something that was yourself and not just writing? Yeah, I mean, Spy was the first, and 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 in, in, of, of the things I've done, maybe maybe the most uh, influential of the businesses I've started. Uh, it we we my partner and I at the time, uh, Graydon Carter, and then my third partner was the business guy Tom Phillips with Spy, and actually my fourth partner for that matter, my wife Ann Kramer, who was the marketing and ad sales person. Um, but we had this. We, we had loved, we'd grown up loving magazines, right? I mean, whether it was Esquire in the 60s or National Lampoon when it came out, or there were there were these fan magazines that we just loved getting and defined our, helped define our sensibilities. Mad Magazine when we were little kids. And and we were both working at Time Magazine together as, as guys in our 20s and thought like, man, we don't have a favorite magazine anymore. Why is that? You know, um, Magazines are doing great, and by God, you know, 80s and 90s were in some ways a golden age. But but we didn't have a favorite, and we didn't. And we had been in journalism and magazine journalism in New York just long enough to hear all kinds of great stories that never got reported. Right? That that there was no internet. There was no uh, things got not buried and covered up exactly, but effectively buried and covered up because. They wouldn't because the New York Times, for instance, was kind of a monopoly hegemon, you know, and and so there were all these stories that didn't get reported. There was all this fun way of of and satirical way of reporting things and and looking at the world that wasn't being done in journalism. It was being done, you know, on on the Letterman Show, which we forget. I think was was a really a kind of game changer in terms of sensibility back in the '80s when that was getting going. So we said, let's let's. We just started talking about like what would this magazine be even before we were serious about starting it. And then we said, wow, we've got an idea here. Um, let's start. Let's get somebody who knows about business with us. Some people who know about business and start raising money. And and the timing was great as it turned out because. There was no internet yet, right? I mean, literally, when we started Spy Magazine, the internet had not been invented. So, so we had the, once we had this idea for a thing, this this magazine, the the motto of which, the slogan of which was "Smart, Fun, Funny, Fearless," that would be mostly nonfiction, uh, looking at the world, a monthly, based and about New York originally, and then the whole of America within a couple of years. We had this idea of a thing that wasn't being done that we wanted for ourselves. And, and really, that's the key of anything I've ever done is of I want to write a book. I want to start a company. I want to do a thing. I want to serve myself, really. It's, it's something I want. I, you know, I realized fairly early on that, I, yeah, you, could, you can be in a business where you're second guessing about like, what would that kind of person want? What would this kind of person want? But you're second guessing of people who about what people who aren't you would want, as opposed to what would I making the dog food you want to eat that you're the dog for, right? And 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 so that was that was really what uh, Spy was about, and it was it was risky in all kinds of ways, uh, and and I didn't particularly think of myself as a risk taking person. I'd kind of played by the book more or less, uh, other than you know being an adolescent, uh, but until then, in terms of work, and and so. So, it was, it, but it but it seemed it seemed possible at the time. Partly, I think, also because we it was the early part of the long boom where we had we knew people who were getting making lots and lots of money on Wall Street in the late eighties, and and they had money to spare to throw into this crazy enterprise that we had in mind, and 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 we were able to raise money that way, and. Uh, and it took off and it was successful and uh, and we were breaking even within three years, which is kind of amazing for a standalone Brand new publication. Magazine. Yeah. And you so never had experience building a business before. That was your first. I had not. Graydon, yeah. Graydon had started a little magazine in Canada, uh, but a very different kind. And so he at least had he had been an editor and, and had done that. But no, we, you know, as people say about things, and it's so true of us in that case, we were too stupid to know how what a <laughs> yeah. long shot it was, you know. And then after that, uh, you are you are obviously a, a serial content creator. 
mm. um, goes he went into Studio 360, decided to start an award-winning public radio show. <laughs> just 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 decided to start one, but it ended up going well. Um, yeah. Well, and before that, there, there I had a, a moment, a three year less, a little less than three year moment in between Spy and that, where where uh, and writing a novel after. My my big job, my the, that I was hired for because we'd done such a good job for a Spy. The people who had recently bought New York Magazine made me editor of that, then fired me uh, two and a half years after hiring me because their whole thing was that they wanted to be edgier. They wanted to be have edge, be edgier, which was the sort of the word of the day. And I guess I gave it too much edge for them and offended <laughs> some of their their the the, the owner Henry Kravis's pals on wall street and uh was got booted from that which you know and it was a thing my mother always said and said at the time well you know kurt when doors close other doors open and i thought yeah sure right mom thanks um but in fact i i i decided okay i've always wanted to write a novel i'm you know in my late 30s it's kind of now or never i felt and so i i you know started writing a novel and it had, you know, some severance and some time and, uh, and, and, and actually getting booted from that job, I think probably turned me into a book writer in a way that I might not have ever had, the, the timing may never have been right if I just kept doing that and kept editing magazines and been a magazine editor as magazines began to die. Uh, I might have, I might have taken that path rather than being, becoming more really of a, you know, a, essentially an independent creator, you know, which is mostly what I've been. Now, yes, you mentioned the radio show, which came along uh, after I'd written my first novel, right after I'd written my first novel. And and again, that was just came out of the blue. I mean, I, I'd never aspired to do that. And and, and uh, but the people who ran public radio decided, you know, maybe you can do this. We have this idea for a show. And I and so we did, and and it worked, and and it was, uh, yeah. So it was. I mean, uh, I, you know, I changed lanes. It was one of the many lane changes I made along the way, and it, and, it, and it worked out. Um, uh, had and, and again, it it was a matter of taking risks, and not crazy risks, but risks that yeah. that I had I had I had done it once, right, with Spy, and it, it, hey, that worked out okay. So I, it 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 gave me the whatever courage, belief that, yeah, it can work out, you know, uh, to do that. I mean, there are all kinds of things and projects, apart from being fired uh, from a job that I've done along the way that, you know, didn't work out. So it's not as though, hey, everything he does turns to gold. Uh, These are just the even, things that you talk about because they're the ones that actually, well, exactly. the ones that actually did well. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Or, or yeah. had some kind of influence or whatever. Yeah, yes, indeed. of course. Um, so... After after Studio 360, um, obviously uh, that was a large portion of your life. You did that for 20 years. Yeah, it's a long time to be building up a radio show. Well, yeah, it was. Although it's interesting. I mean, it was by that time, especially after the one time when I really worked, you know, for somebody and and got fired. I didn't like say to myself exactly like you will never have one boss again. But I kind of did. And I always, even though I was doing the radio show, was also was writing books and doing other projects and writing screenplays and so forth. So, so it was it was yes, it was an important gig, but it was kind of like an important gig rather than my defining one job. You know, I, I really, you know, these days, obviously, all kinds of people, you know, have it's it's a gig economy and people have a portfolio of jobs and occupations and clients and everything. Well. I stumbled my way into doing that, you know, back in back in 2000 when I said, okay, I'm going to be an, a book author and I'm going to have this radio show, but I'm also going to start help start this little media operation here or work on this play over here. So, uh, yeah, it was it was, uh, you know, it was it's like having whatever, how many legs a stool needs, three or four, yeah. you know. Um, and then as after after Studio 360, just because I, I think uh Inside.com is still functioning and, and around. At what point was that? That was in 1999. My friend okay. Michael Hirshhorn, who had been my number two when I ran New York Magazine, and okay. I had this idea 
uh, after sort of after I kind of referred to a thing like it in in this novel I'd written called Turn of the Century, set in the near future, we said he said, well, let's actually do that. This let's do this online uh, thing that covers the media and entertainment business, which wasn't really being done that well. I mean, there were the trade publications like Hollywood Reporter and Variety and 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 things in the print world, but but. Uh, it wasn't really this 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 exploding new internet media space and spaces wasn't really being covered in the way that we thought it could be and should be, with with you know journalistic aggressiveness and entertaining sensibility and and in in this daily way. So anyway, that's what that was, and we started and and it was we thought it's funny now, but in 1999, sort of at what turned out to be the end of the first dot-com boom, right? We thought, wow, mm-hmm. this internet, we're missing it. We're missing it. We, we, what, what, let's start our own band before it's too late to start a band kind of thing. And, and so we had this idea, and, and at this hot, hot moment of 98, 99, it was, you know, <laughs> way too easy to raise money for such a thing. Um, yeah. and, and we raised a lot of money and, and, and hired an amazing staff and... For a couple of years, you know, made a great, had a great early uh, internet publication, you know, before, I mean, again, it was before broadband, before broadband was barely there. Uh, it was before there was any advertising online. So it was, it was nuts. I mean, it was, I mean, the charitable thing, way to describe it as ahead of its time, but it was, it was indeed really good, you know, for its brief life. <laughs> well, it, it it had a brief life, and not, but it, it is still around. So obviously, it wasn't the victim of many other companies that raised money in in the dot com. So you had something under the hood, which was which was already good because I know there's enough companies that that probably didn't and still raise a lot of money. Yeah. Um, so after this, you finished. Okay, so I didn't realize that was sort of uh, that was you were finished with Inside dot com by the time you know two uh, thousand one, yeah. I think two thousand one. Uh, yeah, we sold it to Prime Media, uh, this Perfect. company called Prime Media, which, ironically, was the company that had owned New York Magazine and fired me. Um, uh, but yeah, so uh, yeah, I was done with Inside in two thousand one, and, and then and then and fully engaged in the radio show, which started started in yeah. two thousand. And, uh, and this whole time yeah. you're writing, you're all, you're always yeah, writing. and I'm still yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah I am indeed yeah yeah, yeah still writing books and uh, the... no I was going to say the one thing that um, I thought was so impressive about the 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 works that you produce it just seems like you have such an an intimate understanding of the topic and and the only reason why i said now you're a career writer so it may seem it may seem like well of course that's what he does for a living but i mean the amount of people that write books just about their domain they've lived their whole life they've written a book about their domain and that's the one thing they publish so as you're an experienced you know obviously uh award-winning author What's your process for deciding? You said before you want to you want to learn about something, you want to talk about something. That's what you do. But how do you really get in into the weeds on something? Well, I mean, novels are one thing, and and that's in terms of. And I'd written you know a small little nonfiction book uh, right after the crash, for instance, about mm-hmm. called Reset. That was about what I thought how we how we might use the opportunity of of the two thousand eight two thousand nine crash and recession as an opportunity to reset. But mostly, I was writing novels, and and those, you know, in my case, I just I get an idea for a character or a scene or a time, or and 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 just begin thinking about it for a long time and, and letting it simmer and grow into something. Nonfiction books, these last two I've written, um, you know, Fantasy Land and Evil Geniuses, kind of start the same way, but but they, I won't say they necessarily come to life quicker, but they're more focused, right? I mean. Mm-hmm. We, we, you know, you have this idea with Fantasyland as opposed to characters or scenes or milieus or times or what images or the way fiction germinates. So Fantasyland, it was like, wow, this country has become a lot less uh, committed to empirical reality in my lifetime. Why is that? <laughs> you know, and, and, and so... Investigate that and go. I, and go let's let's investigate that. How'd that happen? At first, I and, and I'd written a novel set in the sixties, nineteen sixties at the time. I thought, oh, I think it's something to do with that and how anything goes and find your own truth and all that stuff that grew out of the sixties and seventies. That has something to do with it. But then I realized, wait, no, this is this is a deeper, longer history. I mean, I, I was really not ex- 
didn't start it as a history book. And it became a history book because I realized there's a lot about America and Americans and the American idea going all the way back hundreds of years that that when it got out of control in a certain way, as in my telling, uh, in the last 50 years, it became it led to the, the, the post truth, post fact, fake news, all all the world that we are now find ourselves in uh, that that it got us here. And again, I, I started I started thinking about that book in the two th early 2010, started writing it in 2014, turn it in, a uh, manuscript in before Donald Trump was even nominated for president. So as it turned out, I, I was, you know, I, 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 I'm very grateful to my publisher who said, when I told her about this book that I might do next, she said, no, maybe do that now. That sounds timely. And thank God she did because it came out just in time for, to help, you know, mm -hmm. explain how we got to the land of Trump, uh, the fantasy land of Trump. So then Evil Geniuses came along, really. People responded to that book. And I, and I realized as I was finishing and as I was going out in the world and talking about it, that it, that my, my theory of how we went wrong. I mean, one of the, the Fantasyland subtitle is How America Went Haywire. The Evil Geniuses subtitle is The Unmaking of America. And I realized I had told kind of half of a story that I had to tell, which is, wow, we, we, are, we have an iffy relationship to the truth, and that allows for all kinds of problems if it gets out of control, of people not believing in climate change, for instance, mm -hmm. or, or, or not believing in vaccines, or whatever the not believing true things or believing false things uh, uh, you're talking about. But I realized there's another half of that, of how this was how the the how we got so unfair in this country how we got so unequal how prosperity began going only to the very wealthy people like me not that i'm very wealthy but i'm in the i don't know top 20 yeah. percent of people have done okay in the last 50 years um and, and and so i realized beyond this kind of uh exploration of the irrational in america that there was this very very rational thing that had has been done and changed the system in the last 40 or 50 years. Um, and, and so I wanted to figure out like, what, how'd that happen? And, 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 and that was, you know, it involved, Evil Geniuses involves more of a, you know, how did I miss this? How, how was I not paying enough attention as it was happening in the 80s and 90s, you know, kind of, uh, and, and just explaining for, to, so I understand what happened, right? How, how the, all the, the, the ideas of how the system should be fair for everyone and all boats should rise and the new, new deal idea, how that was just wiped away and we ended up where we've ended up trying to figure it out, you know, and, and yeah. uh, trying to figure out how it happened and, and then trying to, you know, write it in a, in a lucid enough way that, uh, you know, pe normal people could understand it and, and, and be persuaded. And, uh, and that, I'm not an economist or haven't studied economics since I was in college, but you know, so, so that the economists of the world and the political economists of the world wouldn't think I was an idiot. And so I, I spent a couple of years researching it and a year, year or so writing it and here I am. So so I, I feel like, okay, my, my nonfiction work here is done. I, I've, and they, they really work as kind of two volumes of, of if you think America has, has kind of gone off the rails in the last while, uh, Here's my one explanation, and, and they are kind of a two-volume history in that sense. I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, HubSpot. Now, while you're listening to this podcast, you're probably doing something else too. Mastering the art of working out, shaving like no one's watching. We get it. When you're having conversations with your customers, the same is probably true for them. They're IMing their teams, mentally planning date nights. So growing conversations beyond that moment can be challenging. HubSpot helps you go beyond the moment by connecting you and your teams so you can access the exact same data and see the full customer picture. What motivates them, what their expectations are, and how you can blow them out of the water. With powerful tools that connect marketing, sales, ops, and service, HubSpot's powerful CRM platform powers you and your teams to transform customer moments into extraordinary customer experiences. Learn how HubSpot can help your business grow better at hubspot.com and you break it down you so that's something that so i appreciate that because i think that everybody that looks at the current state of america and wonders 
you know, how, how did we get here? But you, you know, you break it down, you know, you, you mentioned, how did, how did I not see this? And I was actually watching a few interviews to just to research for this show. And, they, you know, how did I not see this? I was living through it. And I'm sure you have a couple thoughts on that. But also, the book goes way back. So you even speak about the founding ideology of America, and how that's potentially led to what caused the opinions that would have prompted people to almost have a knee-jerk reaction, you know, in, in the 70s. I think that, you know, when I was reading through, you were speaking about understanding the mindset of the people, the CEOs, the executives in the 60s, 70s, and what's led them to potentially do some of the things that you, you speak about in the book. So yeah. first, I, I just want to tee it up. So I think that what you had mentioned, there was a little clip about uh, America being founded based on the ideas of newness and innovation. And I, I think I just wanted you to speak about that and what that what that's all about. Sure. Uh, well, again, I, 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 I did sort of, it's not quite as much of the long view as Fantasyland, but I do go back, as you say, to the beginnings and, and, and how the idea of America, even before it was the United States, was all about the new. And, you know, this was the new world. Let's include Canada, and I hear that Canadian accent in, in your voice. And I, I, so I, I, I take you into the whole North American idea. But uh, so no, but it was it was it was about a new world. Let's go to this new place and figure out new ways to live and new ways to do things, and then new ways to manufacture things and new ways to create a government and new ways. It was always about the new for for you know for for better and worse, but mostly for better, really. And and. Uh, for hundreds of years, and 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 so, and uh, certainly in the in the nineteenth and twentieth century, I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show, and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know: business is about making money, and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more: supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins, and I've been there, juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. Hiring as a small business owner is a major pain. That's why LinkedIn is supporting today's episode. You need people with the right skills and experience, but finding them can take forever. It is incredibly frustrating to keep seeing candidates who just aren't a good fit, and that's why LinkedIn Jobs has been a game changer. Let me tell you a little story. We needed to hire a graphic designer, somebody with specific tech and software knowledge and the ability to truly understand our brand. And I started with all the usual job boards, and it's the same old story. Tons of irrelevant applications. No one's really matching my needs. I tried LinkedIn Jobs, and the quality of candidates was just on another level. People with impressive portfolios, relevant expertise. I finally felt like I was interviewing the right people. That's truly the power of LinkedIn's massive professional network. You're tapping into this huge pool of talent you simply wouldn't find on other sites. It's about finding those niche candidates you actually need. And with the right people in front of you, hiring becomes a breeze. Did you know that 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate on LinkedIn Jobs within 24 hours? That is how well their system works. Honestly, do yourself a favor and try LinkedIn Jobs next time you're hiring. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash excellence. That's linkedin.com slash excellence. Terms and conditions apply, but it's definitely worth trying out. 
I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information, but Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay, and what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch U.S.-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text success, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. America became the, the font of newness, and people wanted to go there to, to create new lives, create new selves, create to, to, to not be tied to the old ways and the old world. Uh, and, and again, that was mostly, mostly good, uh, in my view. Um, and then somewhere along the, the line, I mean, and, and certainly provoked by by what happened in the 1960s this the 1960s as i describe it in evil geniuses was this kind of moment of just overwhelming newness all at once i mean whether it was the the space age and the mm. apollo program and and all of that like uh you know top down newness and then there was the counterculture and hippies and the new age and all that and 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 civil rights and urban uprisings. And man, I mean, it's hard to, you know, I was just a little kid at the time, but but it was a decade of just raging newness to the max that naturally discombobulated a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And and so there was an, a 
to some degree, a natural organic reaction after that in the early 70s to like, hold your horses, let's just calm down a little bit. Let's stop with the constant, constant new, 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 kind of the shock of the new. And so, um, and, and, and you mentioned the CEOs and, 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 and billionaires, or I guess at that point, not even probably 100 millionaires. Mm -hmm. There weren't many billionaires at the time. But anyway, the, the, the moneyed class and, and, and CEOs thought, felt in like 1969, 1970, as, as environmental regulation came in, and, and just this, this anti-business sense took hold. A lot of them were afraid that, you know, they were going to be washed away by, by some kind of socialist revolution, which in retrospect is kind of nuts and hysterical of them, but somewhat understandable that they felt like, oh my God, we're, we're just going to be, our time is, unless we fight back somehow, our time is over. And so they did, they, 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 they got together, a bunch of them, including Charles Koch, most famously, but, but others, and, and, and the business roundtable, this new thing that, that was this sort of new kind of organization of CEOs of the largest companies got, getting together to lobby. And, um, and, and they really, they created a new kind of, you know, libertarian, economically libertarian, ultra pro-capitalist right with think tanks and its own media platforms and, and on and on and on and, and, and lobbyists and, and so forth. And, and used this, like, this exhaustion, this post-60s exhaustion of, oh, let's go back to the way it used to be, okay? Let's go back to the way it used to be. And very brilliantly and cleverly, with Ronald Reagan as a front man, sold this idea of, yeah, let's take America back to the way it was. Mm -hmm. You know, they didn't say back to the way it was before civil rights, before women's rights, but that was part of it. That was the unsaid a, at the a time. A recurring part of it. theme that we see. Yeah. Manifesting yes. again and again. Exactly. Yeah. So, so, but, it, but it was, but this idea of oh, let's go back to good old small town America when government wasn't in everybody's faces yeah. and government was competent and all those things was a very successful political sell. And and so the 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 the, the characters, the stars of Evil Geniuses are these very rational, rich guys who 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 um, not only within a few years kept them, saw that they weren't being washed away, that the free enterprise system wasn't being dismantled. And they, they, they very quickly sort of, you know, it was, they were no longer in existential jeopardy, but they, they, at a certain point in the late 70s, decided, well, let's keep going. Let's see how far we can go and really transform the system uh, to really, you know, roll back the, the old New Deal paradigm of, of you know, um, the rich pay high taxes and we have aggressive antitrust and all the rest. And and they and they just kept on going. And, and uh, before too long, there was no Democratic Party that sort of positing a, an alternative to to that. So every everybody agreed. Right. I mean, they're the Democrats and the Republicans didn't really by the 90s, certainly by the age of Bill Clinton didn't really disagree about economics or social policy very much. You know, the, the only things they disagreed about were the cultural things uh, mm -hmm. of, of and, and, uh, and, 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 and therefore the, the system and all of its premises about what was fair and unfair and what, how much inequality we could, we could, we could stand or countenance was, was changed in a, in a generation. And this is this is uh, this is a really a death by a thousand cuts because I'm sure if you if you go back you can trace back you know specific specific action items and 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 various you know government programs and whatnot that will actually have this this compound almost butterfly effect to things that we're experiencing today and the like you said like the the all the all the things that we question how did we get like this this has not been monumental major policy decisions. These are just small things that have added so, up over time. To totally right, and that's and that is again to my whatever credit, or, or at least uh, I, why we didn't see it so much because so much of it were, as you say, these death by a thousand cuts, these tiny little things that didn't seem like such big deals. Yes, Ronald Reagan was elected, and 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 we and the Congress reduced income taxes by half the rates. That was a big thing, but that that was one part of it. 
all these small things that who who unless you were a kind of specialist in regulation or or or, or tax codes you just didn't pay much attention to like the change the SEC change in the, in the early 1980s that allowed companies to buy their own stock shares mm -hmm. that that hadn't happened right since since the new deal since we set up the modern system of of uh, regulating equities and securities and finance Suddenly, no, no, go ahead, buy your own stock. Uh, and, and, and that just was this just profound transformation where now, you know, and for the last you know, generation, um, most big companies spend most of their earnings on buying their own stock, which always struck me as like, hey, how did this happen? This didn't used to happen, did it? This, this doesn't seem kosher. And then I went back and looked at the history of this, this little change of an SEC rule that nobody paid, didn't make bid, big headlines. Massive the time. So just, Massive just repercussions. It, and it's a massive change. Or yeah. or another example like that is, is, well, they didn't lower the minimum wage. They just stopped raising the minimum <laughs> wage and let inflation do the business of, of lowering it, right? Yeah. So, so back in the day, in the 50s and 60s and 70s, you know, the, the minimum wage was the equivalent of 10, 12, almost $15 because Congress kept raising it. Then they stopped it, went down to basically seven bucks and where it stayed for 40 years. On and on and on. There, there's, there, there are, as you, there's dozens, scores, hundreds of, of, of changes that either were, were invisible because they were done by stealth, like not raising the minimum wage, or like, what's this? Uh, 401ks? What? I, I don't know, whatever. Um, uh, that, that just nobody noticed. You know, and and but in the aggregate, they they changed the system, um, in in a relatively few years. Now, so you know, you you go into into a lot of details, examples, and I you broke the book down, I guess, into uh, I guess it says five five different parts. I don't know if that's correct or not. This is just from my research. If that if uh -huh. that's accurate, let me know. But um, so you go through these four parts. It is really just like the history leading up to modern day. And then the fifth part I thought was interesting, uh, make America new again. So this is the result of the past 40 years. And, and speak to me about what that, what that means exactly. Well, I, you know, I mean, lots of our politics and our, our divisions today are arguments over what was bad or good about the past, right? Mm -hmm. And there are aspects of the past we can't bring back, don't want to bring back, you know, white supremacy, women can't do anything but stay at home. I could go on. You know, gay people can't admit they're gay. But there are certain parts of the, there's a certain part of the past, which is to say our political economic past when things were fairer and we had this, you know, during the 40s and 50s and 60s and 70s, this this national consensus about what was fair and what was what wasn't fair and how big corporate power should be and on and on and on that there's, there's a lot there to look at. Now, which isn't to say, you know, it's a very different world with a very different economy and, and, and most especially the digital revolution has changed things, but we, can, we, we, we did it better. You know, it was fairer. All boats, most boats, many boats did tend to rise together until around 1980. So, so, so but here we are in, in this new digital world where, where well-paying jobs have been destroyed by both globalization and technology and now digital technology. And and doesn't look to most of the experts that I've read like they're going to be replaced by new, good, better jobs the way they were in the early 20th century, they were the way they were in the early 19th century. And yes, there were there was disturbances caused and pain caused by all those industrial revolutions, but eventually people left the farm and went to factories. Eventually people left factories and went to office jobs. It seems like there's a good possibility, I think probability, that it's different this time. So you have the chance for this new digital world and, 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 and this new AI world to keep eliminating jobs and making the production of things and services more and more and more efficient. But how are people going to live? You know, how are people going to have dignity? How, how we, we are at this crossroads where we have to figure out how the future is going to be a decent one for most people. Um, and I think, 
I, I, I really do think it's a crossroads, which is to say there is the, the opportunity for amazing plenty, you know, for solving, as John Maynard Keynes said 100 years ago, the economic problem, which is to say there's now enough for everybody, right? I, I do this, this, this sort of thought experiment in the course of the book saying, talking about America too, not saying let's divide up all wealth and income equally. That's never going to happen, probably should never happen. Uh, but let's just, as an illustration, if you divide up all of the wealth and all of the income in the United States equally by household, everybody is upper middle class. Everybody is upper middle class. The, 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 the each, person, each household gets $800,000 of wealth and, and, and each household has an income of $130,000, $140,000. Sounds good, right? Again, I'm not saying we should do that, but it, it is a starting point to say how wealthy we are mm -hmm. and how dysfunctionally and unfairly all of that wealth and income is now shared. So uh, I, I do think oh, that, ahead, you know, no. we're, we're at a place where we have to rejigger our system to make it a more fair one as, you know, not unlike other countries, like, say, the Scandinavian countries, mm -hmm. like, say, Canada even. Um, uh before we get to this place where it becomes this, you know, dystopian digital feudalism, which is where we're headed if we don't pretty radically change the system, I think. I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, NordVPN. Now, if you've ever missed out on your favorite shows because it's not available in your country, or if you're trying to keep your private time private, you don't want people spying on what you're doing, well, let me introduce you to NordVPN. If you're bored of US Netflix, why not take a spin in the UK? Use NordVPN, click of a button, you can do just that. You want to watch your favorite anime, you don't have to travel to Japan. NordVPN brings it right to you with 5,000 plus server options. No show is out of reach. And of course, we all love to binge TV and Netflix, but privacy is a big deal too. NordVPN keeps your information encrypted, so you never have to worry about your IP or location getting out. They've also doubled down on keeping you safe with their new threat protection feature. Say goodbye to intrusive web ads and malware. Even if you download an infected file, threat protection kicks in and deletes it before it makes a mess of your computer. And don't forget, if you're trying NordVPN, there is literally no risk to you. They have a 30-day money-back guarantee. Give it a try. If you like it, great. If you don't, they'll issue you a refund. You can pretend it never happened. They gave a special discount for Success Story podcast listeners. They gave a special offer. So go to my link at nordvpn.com slash success story to get your subscription started today. I was just going to ask um, because, you know, I, I want people to to go in and, and obviously uh, and, and read more because I think it's a really interesting topic. But the the end result of, of 40 years of unfettered uh, capitalism it has some some implications. Do you have any ideas after doing this research, writing this book, about how we could achieve a better system, or are we too far gone? Well, we'll see. I mean, there's a lot of problems, and it's not an easy slog. But one of the things, by looking at this history of how how the paradigm was shifted and how the system was transformed fairly quickly over the generation from let's say 1978 to 1998, right? That like wow. Let's do what they did, but for our side, right? I mean, it's it's possible. It's 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 a heavy slog and it's a long-term uh, process if it's to happen. But but and again, I'm serious when I say look what they did and, and learn things. Keep your eye on the prize, right? And 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 keep at it and keep at it and keep at it and don't let yourself get too diverted by things that aren't really going to uh, make lives much better. Uh, and, and, and in my view, quote. stick to the economics, which yeah. the evil geniuses did, you know. Uh, so, yeah, I don't think I'm still, you know, 50.1 percent hopeful. I, I, I still ha I'm not I'm not without hope that we can get there. Uh, and, you know, the last the pl politics and economics of the last nine months have actually given me some, you know, sent me to all the way to 51, 52 percent hopeful. That's pretty optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, very good. Um, I, I always like to ask a couple of rapid fire career questions just to bring some some insights out of you. Was there anything else that you wanted to to bring up? Any points in the book that we didn't touch on that were major relevant points? I know that we really broke a lot of it down. Uh, no, I mean, it's it's I think in terms of uh, uh, an introduction, I mean, part of it, as I say, for people who don't feel like they're particularly 
left on economics. Uh, you know, I wasn't either. I, I was always a kind of capital D democratic centrist mm -hmm. until I until I really stopped and said like, yeah, that's easy for me to say. I've done fine, right? Uh, let's really look at what happened and how this happened. And, and so I, I, I think it's a, for, for being a, a, a sort of polemical economic history, it's it's pretty fair and balanced, dare I say it. So, but yeah, I mean, I think if 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 this were, if this subject interests you at all, uh, I think you know it should. Uh, I think it should introduce more people. To be honest, it's you can you can that, learn a lot because I learned yeah. a lot, and really, I'm just I'm just I've just recapitulated, you know, my my three years of 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 learning in this book. Very good. Um, okay, some some rapid fire uh, insights out of you. Um, go as long or as short as you'd like for these. Uh, what was the biggest challenge that you've had in your career and how did you overcome it? Well, I, I guess, I mean, the one that felt like a big challenge because it was so sort of spectacular was getting fired from this job um, because it was in the newspapers and, you know, it was like being shot out of a cannon that you didn't know you were in <laughs> until it was, until you were, until they lit the fuse. Um, so, but, but in fact, I mean, because it was so dramatic, spectacular and quick, it wasn't ultimately that hard, even though it felt it was it was shocking and disorienting and a bummer. Um, so I guess that was the single biggest. If we're if if it's a, if it's a lightning round, that's 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 the biggest. That's biggest. a good note. It's, it, it's good. It's good. I didn't it's feel good. damaged by it or or like I didn't go into a you know year long depression. I just you know got back on the horse. Yeah, I just like to bring that out because. Um... You know, people that are younger in their career. I think everybody who's achieved any levels of success has been fired in in one way or another. But you yeah. know, sometimes uh, for people that are younger, it feels like it's it is the end of the world. Um, yeah. uh, what would be one thing that you would tell your twenty year old self? Uh, I would say, uh, and and I and I knew it by the time I was twenty five or twenty eight. But basically, learn patience. You know, I, I would say that, that as a young person, um, I, I certainly would, didn't didn't have enough patience, and and maybe that's the nature of being young. And by the time I was thirty, I kind of had developed some patience, so it was okay. But but just you know, calm down. You know, stay on the right track. You'll get there. You'll you'll get what you need. Don't be so anxious. What would who would be one person? Excuse me, that had a major impact on your life. It, it can be family. It can be somebody in your professional circle. And and what did they teach you? Uh, well, I, I was really lucky in terms of my family. My parents were like excellent, excellent parents. In in back back in the day when when the phrase helicopter parents didn't exist, and and <laughs> my parents were certainly not helicopter parents. They they gave me, you know, I knew I was cared about. But I had a very long leash. Um, but I would say the person, the single person who was most uh, was it was just a great person to have in my life was my first boss, who was this guy called Gene Shalit, who was a big famous guy at the time. Uh, he was on the Today Show every day when that was a big deal, and he was the culture guy and the movie reviewer, and and he just hired me out of college uh, to to write for him, to research for him, to hang around with him. Uh, he was a great boss. He was he was just the model of a generous, great boss. He he was certainly, and so he was very generous to me and got me this book deal for this book I published when I was twenty six years old, incredibly generously, um, and was just his his model of kindness and decency and mentorship um, to the degree I you know I might have been okay on those scores in all of the jobs and and when I employed people and helped people, but but he certainly. As a first boss, proving to me that this is what a boss can be was was an incredibly important uh, influence. What would be one uh, source that you'd recommend? Could be a book, podcast, obviously none of your own uh, that you'd recommend people go I got nothing out. for you. If it's, not, if it's not my own, I got nothing. <laughs> uh, uh, well, let's see. What do I listen to? I mean, um, right now, I mean, uh, in terms of... Are we talking about living life better or just being Anything. interested? You, your 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 interpretation. Uh, I think I mean my my friend, and it's not just because he's my friend, but John Heileman um, has a podcast he's been doing for now a year, I guess, called Hell and High Water, which is 
just an exemplary, uh, an exemplary podcast. He he really he really does it well and right, uh, and and uses and they're, they're they tend to be an hour long, but but he uses they don't ever feel like they drag. He mm-hmm. he really he, he does it really beautifully and 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 uh, I think understands the difference between interview and conversation, which is to say these are more like conversations. It's 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 really excellent and uh, and you know and and you know uh, podcasts as you know by doing this it, it, it's a wonderful time to be it's wonderful to be in a medium as it's still finding its own form and shape Agreed. where yeah. there's not absolute rules of this is the way it's got to be or that's the way it's got to be when it's still you know whatever we're in the early 10, 20 years of this form and uh, and 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 I find it very exciting when. You know, uh, things like John's uh, do it, do it you in, know, in his own way, and it's and it's great. So it's it's a I, I just find it um, I find it great because also because it's weekly, and I, I find both as a as a creator and as a consumer, I find daily these days, you know, when when we're so deluged by content and information and 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 all that. I find I, I find the weekly uh, frequency uh, kind of more my my cup of tea. One thing that you mentioned that I thought was uh, that really resonated with me, and it just it just reminded me when you said you know the, the medium hasn't been defined yet, is uh, that you create content that you would consume yourself, or you investigate ideas, or you build businesses, or you write books, and I think that that's probably one of the the one things that anybody who's creating content. That's something they should take away, and that's that's why I built this podcast. That's why I hope whoever is creating content or, or listening to this and being inspired creates something that they want to create. Because you know this, like if you don't if you don't love it, if you don't live it, if it's not something that's for you, and you're trying to build it for something like someone else. It it's very it's a it's a tough uh, it's a tough hill to climb if if it's not something that's like really core to who you are. So well, that totally, really, that totally. Really no, it's it, it's no fun for the creators. But but again, and, and it, it's. It can be called authenticity, but it's it's a form of that. It's like, wow, you are really interested in this. You are really curious about this. You really wanted to talk to this person. That comes across, and and I think, yeah, that's that's. If I have a if I if if I have advice for people, whether or not they're creating media, whatever they're doing, like you better you better like this, and you better be doing it for you. You better be a customer of whatever it is you're selling, or you know, maybe you won't fail, but the likelihood of failure failure is higher. And in any case, you're not going to have fun doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Um, what does success mean to you? Being, being, uh, feeling as though you've given it your best shot, whatever it is. And, uh, and, and feeling like you have been kind along the way and, and, uh, grateful as it, comes to an end. Uh, I, I, my, my brother, who my older brother, who recently died, always said uh, that his if he had a religion, it was gratitude. And and I, I always like, yeah, that's kind of right. But as he got older, as I get older, I thought like that. Yes, uh, that's it. Is is if you want to end up, if you want to end up feeling feeling as though you haven't done, you haven't committed too many unforced errors, and. Uh, and and that you're grateful for uh, the people who have uh, helped you and for and for for life itself. So that's what I would say. And uh, most importantly, how do people connect with you? Website, social, where do they get the book? All of that. Uh, they well, they get the book wherever they buy books. Uh, <laughs> and the, the, there's a paperback edition of of Evil Geniuses being published uh, in August, so they can they can wait for that and get a, get a beautiful new paperback with some updates. Uh, but uh, evil geniuses. Uh, Twitter is where I, is the social place I am most active. I'm at K B Anderson S E N. Um, I've got a nice website uh, uh, that is KurtAnderson.com, and uh, they can get a hold of me through that or see what I'm up to. I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. 
Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it. Each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. Hiring as a small business owner is a major pain. That's why LinkedIn is supporting today's episode. You need people with the right skills and experience, but finding them can take forever. It is incredibly frustrating to keep seeing candidates who just aren't a good fit, and that's why LinkedIn Jobs has been a game changer. Let me tell you a little story. We needed to hire a graphic designer, somebody with specific tech and software knowledge and the ability to truly understand our brand. And I started with all the usual job boards, and it's the same old story. Tons of irrelevant applications. No one's really matching my needs. I tried LinkedIn jobs and the quality of candidates was just on another level. People with impressive portfolios, relevant expertise. I finally felt like I was interviewing the right people. That's truly the power of LinkedIn's massive professional network. You're tapping into this huge pool of talent you simply wouldn't find on other sites. It's about finding those niche candidates you actually need. And with the right people in front of you, hiring becomes a breeze. Did you know that 86% of small businesses find a quality qualified candidate on LinkedIn jobs within 24 hours. That is how well their system works. Honestly, do yourself a favor and try LinkedIn jobs next time you're hiring. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash excellence. That's linkedin.com slash excellence. Terms and conditions apply, but it's definitely worth trying out. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information. But Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. 
Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay. And what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch US-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text success, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. 